hi welcome to the podcast by dr shushma singh let us start conversation on the series of unit 7 politics of educational curriculum and our topic of discussion is educational curriculum and the politics of domination the whole issue of politics of educational curriculum is rooted in the critical appropriation of the culture of those who dominate the people who are dominated the former seek to deplore and treat as inferior the culture and knowledge system of the latter one of the means through which the people who are dominated begin to treat their own culture as inferior is the educational curriculum when it this happens it becomes easy to dominate them completely and strengthen one's own position this aspect of education may be better understood in the light of the fact that dominant groups often use the educational curriculum as a channel through which the nature and the extent of their dominance is communicated while the representation of others is largely unpeopled many of us are aware that the charge of designing and executing the curriculum is often in the hands of bureaucracy of education which itself is controlled by the state and political groups it is therefore only natural that the educational curriculum serves the interest of the section of influential group of people from a traditional standpoint scholars schools were treated as places where instructions were imparted by the teachers to the students they were sites for transmission of knowledge of importance to the existing society what clearly escaped attention was the viewpoint that schools were also sites of contestation among different cultural and economic groups this somewhat simplistic conception of school education in general and educational curriculum in particular was challenged by new sociology of education which emerged forcefully in england and the united states sometime in 1970 radical critics argued that the knowledge imparted in schools could be best understood as representing dominant culture this is made possible through processes of the selective emphasis and exclusions we know that there are different kinds of school schools serving different sections of people in society some cater to the elite and the privileged other cater to the middle class while yet others cater to the poor and the disempowered there are also some schools for example delhi tamil education association dtea schools that are established with the purpose of integrating cultural knowledge with school curriculum it is commonly felt that children from schools 
for the elite and the influential develop cognitive skills and perspective that equips them better and privileged to succeed in life the dominant culture gets repeatedly reproduced through specific social practices and texts in which the voices of the oppressed are silenced those who hold power are the ones who decide what kind of knowledge is worthwhile enough to be passed on to the future generation naturally this entails giving importance to knowledge of certain groups at the cost of others as students of the sociology of education we need to look into the content of curriculum social relations between and among teachers and students rigorously also we need to understand how specific ideologies are perpetuated through the curriculum is there no hope for the dominated and oppressed while their voices never be heard the working class research communities women's groups and others do possess the potential to develop a critical perspective and to identify the oppression and domination of a group of people this would lead to production and dissemination of knowledge that has a bearing on the needs of the people and in doing so resist and counteract cultural manipulation in favor of decentralization of control now let us move to the next point colonial education in india all kinds of knowledge cannot be considered worth imparting political and economic considerations determine the validity or appropriateness of any knowledge it is this validity of knowledge that decides its inclusion or omission from the curriculum framework educational aims have a historical character and they change over times kumar effectively points out the ideological roots of colonial education education helps the british in dominating indian ideologically which strengthened colonial rule he explains that by the beginning of the 19th century the british empire had almost won this part of the continent the main objective then became empire building the colony was to be maintained so that it could generate profits for long in this light the reformist and the educationist attempts came into light the colony was won with force and coercion but the long term sustenance required a social order and peace education was supposed to replace coercion with socialization since education was an important socializing agent that would turn natives into loyal citizens of the british state in colonial india education provided the great moral agenda of colonialism the colonial state saw itself as the protector of the ignorant masses given to emotional and irrational behavior 
The colonists felt that the only effective way of controlling the passions and irrationality among Indians was rationality and scientific reasoning which could be imparted through education. In doing so, colonists were able to entrench their position and exercise greater control over the masses. English administrators of the mid-19th century answered the questions of what is worth teaching in terms of their limited understanding of and interest in Indian culture and the local knowledge. Macaulay, in his minutes of 1835, states this ethnocentric attitude in the following words. A single shelf of a good European library was worth the whole native literature of India and Arabia. Macaulay's minutes also pronounced that any kind of spending on Sanskrit and Arabic learning would be a dead loss. The minutes stated what we spend on the Arabic and Sanskrit college is not merely a dead loss to the cause of truth. It is bounty money paid to raise up the champions of error. It goes to form a nest not merely of helpless place hunters but of bigots promoted alike by passion and by interest to raise a cry against every useful scheme of education. On the above grounds, we can say that the colonial education strengthened its hold on systematic rejection of indigenous knowledge and replacing it with knowledge as well as the culture of the colonist themselves. In 1835, the Governor General William Bantick agreed with Macaulay, Minutes and wrote, The great object of the British government ought to be the promotion of European literature and science among the natives of India, thus promoting the establishing a permanent position for the use of English language in Indian educational institutions. During the early 19th century, the East India Company took steps to establish an education system in India. Some of the major decisions taken were the following. The new system would be governed by the bureaucracy at every stage from primary school onward and in all aspects including the structure of slebai, the content of textbooks and the teacher training. The new system would aim at acculturing Indian children and youth in European attitudes and perceptions and at imparting to them the skills required for working in colonial administration, particularly at its middle and lower rungs. The teaching of English and its use as medium of instruction would be a means of this acculturation and training. Indigenous school would have to confirm to the syllabus and textbooks prescribed by colonial government if they wanted to seek government aid. 
impersonal centralized examination would be used to assess the student's eligibility for promotion and to select the candidate for scholarships. This kind of colonial setup ensured that the people at large consumed the knowledge provided by the ruler that would thwart their initiative and confidence to generate knowledge. Kumar presents the argument that the textbook-centered character of education in India is related to the histori historical circumstances under which India's present education system developed. The completely bureaucratized mechanistic education system that they introduced reinforced culturally what colonial policies were aiming to achieve economically. Education involved training in unproductive skills and socialization in colonial perception. Furthermore, the colonial pedagogy and education continued even after colonial rule. After independence, the education system continues to be based on the colonial policies of examination and prescriptions of textbooks. Colonial rules still plays a significant role in deciding what should be considered valid in school knowledge. Kumar asserts that a link exists between the selection of school knowledge that was made under colonial rule and present-day pedagogy and curricula. In colonial India, the job of deciding, selecting and shaping school knowledge was performed by the enlightened outsiders. In independent India, this role is taken up by educated Indians. They have become the enlightened outsiders to the masses. Our educational curriculum is delinked from the people's knowledge and skills primarily because these were considered deficient and worthless by colonists. The colonists felt that the introduction of education based on colonial culture and value system was of little use to the people of India. What happened in the process was widening of the gap between the school curriculum and the ethos and home environment of the learner. In the present day too, India education continues to play an ameliorative role and remains widely separated from the lived lives of people. Here we wind up this conversation and thank you so much for choosing this podcast.